Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, everybody. Like Glenn said, my name is Yanni Samatolidis. Um, I came here about a year ago, which is amazing how fast time goes. <laughs> um, a, l- a little update on what's new with me. Um, like Glenn said, I, I was blessed to be able to marry um, my beautiful wife, Leah. Um, we got married last summer. We uh, have been married now for eight months, which is amazing to say. <laughs> um, so we're clearly professionals, so we just know it all about <laughs> We just know everything about marriage, you know. Um, it was really cool last week for Valentine's Day. We got to go to our first marriage enrichment dinner. So I remember growing up as a kid, we got to, you know, my sisters and I got to watch my parents go to different marriage retreats and things like that. So we got to go to our first one. So it was really fun. I remember beforehand, I was asking my mom, I was like, Mom, what do you do at these things? And she's like, you, she's like how, do, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> um, but it, it's amazing to be able to experience um, marriage and uh, this new season of life that the Lord has us in. Um, we both now are working on our master's degrees. So um, we graduated last spring with our undergraduate degrees, and we're both working at Liberty University. So we are in this season of being equipped, um, being trained for um, what God has next for us. and. Um, we're very, very honored to come here today and be able to serve alongside you guys and, and myself bringing the word. It's, it's a huge blessing. Um, if you don't mind turning with me to James chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 13, are where we are going to study um, God's word today. So James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Once you turn there, I'm going to begin reading the passage, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get started. So James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, pay special attention to the heading at the top of your Bible. I'm sure it says something along the lines of the sin of favoritism or something similar. James begins by saying, My brothers, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in bright clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the bright clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and they themselves drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the good name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin, being convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. 
So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. The title of today's message is Favoritism's Incompatibility with Christianity. Favoritism's Incompatibility with Christianity. Now I'd love to pray for us and then we'll go ahead and begin our message. So let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time, Lord, that we could gather here today at Faith Community Church, how we could um, gather with one another, fellowship together, worship you, and also study your word. Heavenly Father, I pray that as I preach your word that you may help me to teach it clearly, that, Lord, what you have to say in your word um, may be clear to those around me, that they may not just understand it, Lord, but may have the motivation and, and the desire and the passion to apply it faithfully to their lives. I pray, Lord, for everyone and in here, for believers, that they may be sanctified and edified through your word, and for those who may not know you, that they may come to saving faith in Christ through the hearing of your word today. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing over this time, and we pray and ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the most beautiful things that Leah and I have gotten to experience while being married is, is the blessing of having our families grow. Um, being married now, we have the privilege of now having multiple sets of parents and also siblings. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge encouragement to us to have um, four parents now who, who, who love and care for us and um, love to um, encourage us and give us good tips, and then siblings who are also um, so overjoyed to hang out with us and now think we're really, really cool just because we're married. Um, but I'm sure all, all of you here today, whether you're married or not, you all have the blessing of having family and also in-laws, which are great. But sometimes when they're not great, um, we may instead like to call them outlaws or um, the other side of the family or the ones that we need to take extra caution when they come over. Um, <laughs> that is something that I experience um, not too often, but every once in a while when family um, may get on our nerves or may frustrate us a little bit. Um, and I don't always feel too overjoyed to be around them. Um, for example, um, there are times where early on in Leah and I's relationship, when um, our marriage relationship, when her family would come over um, because it's Leah's family and I really desire to impress them or show that, hey, I can actually take care of your daughter. <laughs> um, when they'd come over, um, the moment they'd walk in the door, especially to her father, I'd come in and I'd be like, hey, can I make you coffee or can I um, you know, get anything for you? Being extra, extra intentional to impress, that, to impress her father, impress her mother, show them that I can take care of her. I'd go above and beyond. But then when my parents came over because of how comfortable I was with them, I just let them come through the door and <laughs> just um, say, hey, you know, do whatever you want, not take extra intention to take care of them. I'm not sure if any of you can relate to that, but even think of your jobs. I know um, I personally work in the School of Divinity at Liberty University, and I, I work with students primarily, so when students come in my office and I meet with them, it's pretty simple because they're students, so I just let them come in. I, I engage with them um, because I'm a, you know, at a similar age than they are. And then when the dean comes in of the School of Divinity, 
I immediately come to the door. I say, hey, can I make you coffee? Can I get you any snack? Like, is there anything that you need that I can do for you? And I don't know if you can relate to this, but I often find myself showing more favoritism to those who I may desire to impress or, in my understanding, may be more influential or even more famous or more important um, than other people. And according to James, in our passage today, that's not okay. (laughs) It's not okay to show more favoritism or to give better treatment to another individual rather than another because when we do that, we are engaging in the sin of partiality, the sin of favoritism. And what James is going to show us here today that is that when we show favoritism to another indi- individual for, you know, whether they may look better than someone else or may act better or they may not annoy us as much as another individual, that that is not okay. And the reason why that is not okay is because when we think that we ourselves are better than another individual, or this individual is better than this individual, what we're doing is we're actually showing preferential treatment or maybe even showing unrighteous judgment to another person and maybe holding a high standard that he's going to show us in reality we can't even meet as well. And we're also dishonoring the grace of God. One thing I want to specify before we go into our passages that I don't do life with you as a congregation on a week-to-week basis. I'm here today to um, preach, so I can't come in here today and take this passage because the tone of this passage for, for James to his readers is a rebuke. And I per- personally do not believe I have any authority to take this passage and rebuke because I don't have, do life with you on a week-to-week basis. But... I want to use this passage here today as a warning and as an encouragement that we all remind ourselves every day throughout the week and as we engage with others that we show no favoritism to others, but that our attitude may always be with grace and with love. Amen? Awesome. Cool. So let's begin reading our passage. James begins by saying in verse 1, My brothers, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. What we're going to learn from this first verse is that favoritism, why it's incompatible with Christianity, is that it promotes a critical attitude. James says, My brothers, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. The word for hold here in the Greek denotes receiving, obtaining, possessing, holding, and maintaining something. So when James is saying, my brothers, you who are holding the faith, what he's referring to here is those who have not just been saved by Jesus Christ, but those who are actually now living out their faith in Jesus Christ. Them holding this this faith is not them just hearing about it and just learning about it. It's them receiving it, them being saved, and now living out this faith in their daily lives. 
One who holds his faith in the Lord Jesus must come to the place where he understands in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And like Romans 5.8 says that even while we were yet still sinners, Christ died on our behalf. And then like Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then as Romans 10.9 says, For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One who holds to faith has to go through all these steps knowing that he's a sinner, that he needs a Savior, that he needs to trust that Savior for that salvation, and then he goes and does so. And then he goes and follows him all the days of his life. This faith that he holds in Christ, the Lord of glory, is one that he chooses to follow all the days of his life. He chooses to follow this Lord all the days of his life. And then James says, as these brothers hold their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as they not just believe in him as they follow him, they are not to do so with an attitude of personal favoritism. Why? Why is personal favoritism so incompatible with the Christian walk? What did we just talk about before? What must a Christian come to understand prior to salvation in Christ? The first answer is that he is a sinner (laughs) and that we're all sinners. Romans 3, 9 to 12 says, What then? Are we better? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. For, For as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. The first thing a Christian has to come to understand prior to salvation is that he's a sinner. And the second thing is that we are saved by grace. Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, This is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. You see, one of the beauties of the gospel is that it teaches us that we are all on the same fallen and depraved level. And we need God to save us. So what James is trying to say here in this first verse is that we are not to show personal favoritism because we are not any better than that other individual. Not any better at all. We're all on the same level. And we all need the grace of God to save us. And if we forget this truth, that we are saved by grace, and we show personal favoritism, it looks exactly like the Apostle Peter in Galatians chapter 2. In verses 11 to 14, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, when Cephas, who's also Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to shrink back and separate himself, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined joined him in this hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before everyone, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Jews, I'm sorry, the Gentiles to live like Jews? See, even the apostle Peter struggled with personal favoritism. Because of fear of rejection by the Jews, he forgot that he and both Jews and Gentiles are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ. He somehow forgot. And what he started to do is he started to only sit and eat with the Jews whenever Jews and Gentiles would gather. And Paul went right up to him and said, what are you doing? Did you not forget that our Jesus saved us by grace? Did you not forget that he fulfilled all righteousness? And that we don't have to follow this law anymore? That it's not this law that saves us? It's not our ethnicity that saves us? It's grace that saves us? Even the Apostle Peter struggled with this. And what James is telling us here is that this favoritism, that if we show, it produces a critical attitude that's not compatible with our Christian faith. The second thing he shows us in verses 2 to 4 is that favoritism also promotes unrighteous judgment. He says, For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in bright clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the bright clothes, and you say, sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you standing over there, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What James is trying to tell us here is that when a Christian exercises favoritism, he does not just display character that is contrary to the Christian life, but also acts as a judge over another individual. When we think we're the elite, or that we're better than someone else, we actually begin to act as a judge on another person. Because we don't think they meet our standard. The Lord Jesus talks about this very similarly in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1-5. to he says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with, what measure you, and with what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's take a step back for a moment and, and, and think of the imagery here. Imagine how hilarious Christ was. This is humor right now. He's saying, how could you look at the speck? Imagine a little dot in, in, your, in your brother's eye. And you begin to judge that individual because of his, the little speck in his eye, but then you forget the log that is in your own eye. What he's trying to say here is that we should not be judging another individual because of possible sins we may think they have committed or, or even just by how they look or how they dress. 
Because if we do, do so, we have forgotten the magnitude of the, law, of the law that could be in our own eye that he has saved us from. And he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Remind yourself of the sin that you've been delivered from. And you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In this passage, Christ is portraying unrighteous judgment. In which one attempts to sit on the seat of judge. Which only God can sit on. He condemns another without first reminding himself of his own imperfections and the grace that saved him. This type of unrighteous judgment is very similar to a parent who has multiple kids. I grew up in a family where it was myself and my two sisters. And when I was born, there was an extremely high standard. I remember, being, I remember growing up as, as the only child, there was this really high standard that I constantly had to meet. And I had to lead by example for my other sisters. But then, for some reason, as I you know, got older and I moved on, when my younger sisters got to those same ages of development that I was on, for some reason, the bar just went lower and lower and lower for things that I probably would have gotten grounded or disciplined. And then my sisters would do the same thing. It was just a little hey, don't do that, or uh, you know better than that. And I'd sit there at the table and I'd be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> do you realize how much time I lost that I could have been playing the Wii or been outside? Or, and what, like, what happened? Clearly this never happened in my own family. <laughs> Just kidding, but... The same way that you understand how my parents may have dropped the ball. The same way that you understand times where maybe we may exercise some form of judgment and maybe hire for one person over another. We cannot do that. We cannot. Because when we do that to another individual, no matter how they look, no matter what age they are or how much we like this child or another, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You may be exercising the role of a judge with evil intentions. And this brings us to James's third point where he says, favorite, where he wants us to know that favoritism does not just promote a critical attitude or even unrighteous judgment, but it even promotes pride. If we can look at verses five to seven, James says, Listen, my beloved brothers, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and they themselves drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the good name by which you have been called? See, another pitfall of favoritism is that it causes a believer to forget his original identity and the magnitude of salvation begin to mirror those who assume that they are spiritually rich. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 31, Paul addresses this very similar topic in the Corinthian church. Because there started to grow divisions in that church and some people were saying, hey, I was baptized by Apollos, I'm better than you. I was baptized by Paul, I'm so much better than you. 
And Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may abolish the things that are. So that no flesh may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. In other words, if we remember our original state, when I remember the time in my life where I was living contrary to the word of God, where I was not following the Lord, when I was completely dishonoring God by my life, and then I remember his grace in that moment that even while I was still a sinner, he chose to die on my behalf. And then at just the right time in my life, the Holy Spirit began his work on me. And then I understood that I was a sinner and I needed Christ and I trusted him for my salvation. When I remember that miraculous salvation, that miraculous transformation that was by God's grace, how could I possibly think I'm better than another individual to think that I have the right to favor him or her over another? Because I was saved by grace. And if that is, person is another believer, she or he was saved by grace too. This reminds me of a scene in Luke chapter 7 where Christ was eating dinner in the home of a Pharisee. And I don't want to rush through that, that, that passage, but long story short, this Pharisee was not a nice guy. And next thing you know, this woman comes in and she immediately drops to her knees, kisses the feet of the Lord, washes his feet, dries them with her hair. And the Pharisee goes, huh, if he knew who this woman was, he would not let her do that to his feet. And then Christ gives him a little story. And he tells him of two men, one who was forgiven for a medium-sized debt and the other for a very large debt. And he says, hey, who do you think would be more appreciative he said, the man who is delivered from the larger debt. Then Christ says, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Drop the mic moment. In that moment, because of that woman's faith, she was forgiven very much, therefore she loved Christ very much, for she knew the magnitude of his grace. On the flip side, that Pharisee who did not believe in Christ, therefore was not forgiven at all, showed very little love for Jesus. And that's the same thought that we should have in our own lives. We, as believers, were all forgiven very much. Therefore, we should be loving each other very much. 
And when we are not, and when we allow pride to control us rather than humility, we're acting like that Pharisee in that story. I remember moments throughout my childhood. I was not a bad kid. I, trust me, I was not. But there were times where, being as imperfect as I was, I would disobey my parents and they'd have to discipline me. I'd be grounded from something for a certain amount of time. And then there were, I also remember many times where when I was grounded by my parents' grace, they would absolve me by whatever punishment that was. And instead of me learning my lesson, even learning their grace, the lesson of the grace that they taught me, in moments where my siblings would then steal a toy or um, insult me or bother me, instead of me showing the same grace that my parents showed me, I would either respond harshly, say, how dare you? And then probably get myself in the same predicament being time out again. Are you understanding the point I'm trying to make? We've been forgiven very much as believers. Therefore, we should be loving very much. We should be dominated by humility and not pride. You want to know how to solve this problem? James is going to transition out of talking how we should be relating in the right way. But all of these different issues with favoritism all go back to pride. We forget the magnitude of our salvation. So how do we solve that? Preach the gospel to yourself every day. I don't know how you spend time with the Lord, whether it's through Bible study, prayer, I hope it's both. Somehow in that, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. From when you were lost to when you were saved, and now, now that you're being sanctified. And the moment you do so, it'll help you a lot with not looking at a brother or sister and having ill will or unrighteous feelings towards one or another. Now that we're at verse 8, James now transitions his thought to now discussing how favoritism is bad to now how we can rightly relate with those around us. He wants us to know that instead of favoritism, we should be choosing love. In verse 8, he says, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. This royal law that James is referring to here is God's sovereign law, his will for us. And a piece of God's will for us is that we should love our neighbor as ourself. This command was originally given by Moses to Israel in Leviticus 19, verse 18. And then Jesus in Matthew 22 pairs this command with the command in Deuteronomy 6, 4 that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says that on these two commandments that we should love God with everything we have and then love our neighbor with everything we have, that on these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets, which we know today is the great commandment. And what James is saying here is that the proper way that we are to relate to each other is to love those around us in the same way that we love ourselves. 
Think of how you love yourself for a moment. Think of how intentional you are in feeding yourself. The moment your belly starts to rumble, you get hungry, you love yourself that much that you feed yourself. At the moment you get a little bit smelly, what do you do? You go and shower and you clean yourself. Or whether you get a little bit cold, you put clothing on yourself, even more clothing. We're constantly so devoted in taking care of ourselves because we have needs, right? In the same way that we are so devoted in taking care of ourselves, we should show that same devotion to others. Romans 13, Paul talks about how love fulfills the whole law. When we are motivated by love, that agape love without condition, we fulfill the whole law. And James says that when we do this, when we love our neighbor as ourself, guess what? We're doing well. He then transitions in verses 9 to 11 by talking about how if we don't do this, if we don't love our neighbors as ourselves, our favoritism is hypocritical. He says, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin, being convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery but murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. See, if we claim to follow the Lord and obey Him by not committing this or that, but then we break this law, we are guilty of breaking the whole law. If we claim to follow the Lord by not committing adultery and we don't do so, but then we murder, we're still breaking the law. If we think about it as American citizens, we desire to uphold the law of our government so that we can live in right relationship with those around us and our government. For example, if Jimmy, I hope there's no Jimmy in here, <laughs> if, Jimmy does not, if Jimmy does great by not drinking alcohol until he is 21, if he is very intentional about not drinking alcohol until he is 21 to respect the law and to not go above it. He's doing well. He's obeying the law. But if he drinks alcohol when he drives, what does he do? He breaks the law. If we claim to Follow the law at every point, but break one point. We're guilty of breaking it all. James' point here is that when we exercise personal favoritism, we think we are so high and mighty, and yet we practice favoritism, which is a sin, where we think we're better than another individual. Guess what we're doing? We're breaking the law which shows that we are very hypocritical. <laughs> when we act so perfect and then condemn others and show favoritism over him than her, we're breaking the law and we're hypocritical. Then lastly, James in verses 12 to 13 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. 
For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. Like I said the verse before, James was illustrating the point that none of his hearers were perfect. If they were judged by the standard of God's holy law, they would all be guilty. If they, were, if they thought they were so perfect but still practiced favoritism, they were still guilty sinners. So what was his point? To humble them and remind them that in verse 12, they should be speaking and acting like those who are judged by what? The law of freedom. What is this law of freedom? What is James getting at here? Romans 8, verses 1 to 4, Paul says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God in Christ died for the sins of His chosen people. When Christ clothed Himself in human flesh, when He represented mankind and gave His life as a ransom for our sins, and He rose again three days later and then ascended to God's throne, when he presented his sacrifice to God, like the writer of Hebrews said, guess what? That sacrifice appeased the wrath of God. And then Jesus sat in his finished position, interceding on our behalf. And then, when the day of Pentecost came, what happened? He poured out his Holy Spirit. And at just the right time in your life, that Holy Spirit grabbed the hold of your heart, made you born again, and through your repentance and faith in Christ, guess what happened? You were saved. And that law of God was written on your heart, transformed you. So you went from living one way to now another. By grace, through faith, you now have the power of the Holy Spirit of God to now live in obedience to Him. And what is James saying? Live and act like you are under that law of freedom. Live and act as those who have been saved by grace through faith. Live to honor God and honor one another. Why? Because judgment will be merciless to one who has been shown no mercy. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. See, a life that is characterized by no mercy and a harness of heart is a reflection of two things. That individual is on a slippery slope to not good things. Or that individual, that heart, may not have been shown mercy by God to begin with. That is a terrifying thing. But on the contrary, a life of mercy reflects genuine spiritual transformation which results in triumph and victory on the day of judgment. 
you can all quick turn with me to Matthew 18, I want to finish with another story by Jesus. Matthew 18. In verse 21, it says, then Peter, came to, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with the slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. Therefore the slave fell to the ground and was prostrating himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll repay you everything. And feeling compassion, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owned him, who owed him 100 denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and was pleading with him, saying, Have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your hearts. The lesson is simple. The magnitude of how much we should, that the magnitude of how much we were forgiven should be the primary overflow of our hearts for how we relate to those around us. We understand the magnitude of God's grace should motivate us to show that same amount of grace to those around us. To conclude, as Christians, we should never ever be, don't ever be like me when I relate to my boss and I treat him way better than I treat a student. Don't be like me and I may treat one side of the family better than the other at moments. Don't be like me. I'm just kidding. See, our heart's motivation should never be critical or judgmental to anyone, no matter how they look. Instead, our lives should be characterized by mercy and compassion because of the gracious mercy that has been given to us in Christ. Remember, favoritism promotes a critical attitude. It promotes unrighteous judgment and pride. And instead of favoritism, we must choose love. Because favoritism, favoritism is hypocritical. And mercy triumphs over judgment. And as James says, if we choose love rather than favoritism, we are doing well. Amen. Let me pray for us.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word that is so clear. Thank you, Lord, for inspiring James to write to us how we are to be merciful and compassionate to those around us, how we are to never show favoritism because we are sinners saved by the mighty grace of God and how we must show them the same compassion that you showed us. I pray that we may do so faithfully every day. I pray that we may always be reminded of your mercy towards us, how much you have forgiven us. And I pray for those in here who may have heard this gospel, may have even heard of this amazing grace for the first time that they repent of their sin. And they trust in Jesus who was enough on our behalf and gave his life as a payment for our sins. That they trust him for their forgiveness, for their salvation, that they follow him faithfully for the rest of their lives. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.